Hello again, folks, and welcome on into episode 10 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, happy to be back in the big chair, happy to be back with you, my dear friends, and happy to hit double digits. That's right, those Vegas oddmakers. I saw a couple of lines over under at 9.5. If you bet the over, congratulations, you're going to cash in now. We've made it to double digits. Really excited about that, but really excited about today's show because, look, it's our first game preview show of the season. That's right. We're going to be talking to Pittsburgh Steelers today, helping you get ready for Sunday night. And as we get into the regular season, I do want to remind you how this show will sort of flow in season. You will get a post-game reaction show. It will be either a glorious victory episode or a melancholy and the infinite sadness episode. I'll explain those sort of themes and titles and ideas when necessary. And then you'll get your usual shows on Wednesday and Thursday. You know, you'll get the post-game reaction show shortly after the game, usually sometimes Sunday night if it's a Sunday game. Um, Might be into the wee hours of Monday morning. You'll expect the... First one of those, hopefully a glorious victory edition installment after the Steelers game, probably late Sunday night, early Sunday, early Monday morning. And then you'll get your shows on Wednesday and Thursday. The Wednesday show, again, a little bit of a recap with an eye towards the upcoming opponent. And then Thursday will be all in, usually with a guest um, to help break us down the upcoming opponent. So that's how the weeks will be structured here as we get into the season. But let's talk about today. We talk about the Steelers today. Loaded show for you, as always, in the first part of the show. We're going to do some nerdy football stuff. We're going to talk about spot dropping in the secondary, why that matters this week. And plus, I'm going to tell a story for you, a revisiting of a classic titled The Tale of Two Drives. Then later, I'm going to chat with Alex Kazora of Steelers Depot. We're going to get inside the enemy camp as the Patriots look to open that season where they win Sunday night against the visit in Pittsburgh Steelers. But before we get to all of that, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out the work at a number of places. InsideThePylon.com, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Pro Football Weekly, that triumvirate of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco Show with the Honorable Michael J. Kist, and of course, Pat's Pulpit, where you can find this podcast along with some film breakdowns and more. Also, don't forget, you can be part of the ongoing discussion on the Sco Show Slack channel. I'm lucky and honored to have a growing community of Patriots fans constantly talking Pats and more over there. You can hit me up for an invite via Twitter or email mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com. First, though, let's start with a definition. Spot dropping. Now, you might have heard this term before. You might have heard it whether watching a game, watching a broadcast, reading articles on the internet about this game we all love and spend way too much time thinking about. But spot dropping is a style of play in the secondary. And what it refers to is how the defenders in zone coverage schemes get to where they need to be. How they execute their assignments. When a secondary spot drops, what that really means is they are dropping to a spot on the field. Top of the numbers, between the hash marks, near hash mark, you know, any area of the field that they need to get to, they just drop to that spot. Now, spot dropping is fairly easy to teach. It's fairly easy to execute. Most high school teams use it as a base coverage, as a day one installation, as a base technique. So if it's cover three, here's how you drop to your spot. This is where you're getting to. If it's cover two, cover four, whatever. These are your landmarks. You drop to that spot. 
Now, the pros for this kind of coverage play and technique, it enables the defenders to keep their eyes on the quarterback, identify what the quarterback is doing, and rally to the football. When you're playing inexperienced or average quarterback, spot dropping gives you chances for turnovers because you can read the QB's eyes, see what he's doing, and rally to the football. And if you get poor throws, it's easier for you to intercept them when the five, six, or seven players in the secondary have their eyes on the quarterback. Those are the pros. But spot dropping, there's some cons, like with everything in football and in life. Spot dropping creates some big throwing windows. Everybody's dropping to an area in the field. There are going to be ways to exploit the windows that develop, the soft spots in the coverage. If it's cover two, you've got the between the safeties, middle of the field. You've got the turkey hole on the outside of each safety behind that cornerback, for example. Cover four, you've got seams, you've got underneath. And cover three, also you've got the seams on either side of that free safety in the middle of the field. That's a big area to attack in cover three. More on that in a second. Spot dropping also needs to have a good pass rush because if the quarterback has all day to throw back there, even an average quarterback can carve you up. Now imagine what the greatest quarterback of all time can do against a spot drop in defense. You don't need to imagine it too hard because traditionally that's what the Pittsburgh Steelers have been, is a spot drop in defense in the secondary. When the Patriots have gone up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and defensive coordinator Keith Butler, traditionally they have been a spot dropping, primarily cover three team in the secondary. And cover three, what's one of the weak spots we just talked about? It's that seam up the hash marks on either side of the free safety. That's part of the reason Robert Gronkowski was always just a Steelers killer. They would insist on spot dropping into these cover three looks. They don't get home against Tom Brady. Brady could carve them up. That's how it's traditionally gone. Now, teams can do other things, not spot drop. They can pattern match. They can man or zone pattern match. That's basically where it sort of looks like man coverage. You're getting to a spot, but your man coverage turns. You're running with defenders. You're watching the you're running with the receivers. Excuse me. You're watching the receivers, and it's tougher for the quarterback to figure out. Rather than take your drop to a spot and wait for receivers to arrive, you take the coverage. To the receiver, you key receivers when you read the pass. They diagnose who the threat to their zone is and they go cover them. You don't just wait. It basically turns into man coverage. Once you read pass, you're basically running a man coverage scheme to get to your zone. It uses zone principles early and man principles late. That's kind of a great way to put it. Now, why does this matter? Well, I'll tell you why it matters in a tale of two drives, a variation of a classic that you all probably read in school. I went and rewatched last year's game between these two teams. And you could break down the difference in sort of, you know, pure spot dropping and how easy that is to sort of carve up versus some pattern match, some man match stuff when the quarterback has a little bit more difficulty figuring out what the defense is doing. Now, in the Patriots' opening possession of this game between these teams last year, they went right down the field, basically four plays touchdown. And on this drive, they threw it three times. 
came out throwing on the first two plays. The first play of first and 10 at the 834 mark of the first quarter. They come out with 21 personnel, but they've got Brady in the shotgun, Devlin in the backfield with him, and Burkhead flexed out to the left. And they run everybody's favorite, a cover three beater, Haas. Hitch on the outside from Burkhead, seam from Gronkowski, out of the slot. It's the play they ran three straight times in Super Bowl 53. They run it just to the left side here. Just that hitch and that seam from Burkhead and Gronkowski. And what happens? The Steelers are at a spot drop in cover three. Artie Burns is the cornerback over Burkhead. And it's important to highlight what that means. When Brady sees Burkhead out to the left and a corner over him, he knows this is going to be a zone coverage. They're not going to play man coverage and take a corner and put him on Rex Burkett. They're not going to do that. And so he knows it's zone coverage. He knows it's probably some kind of cover three. That's what they do. They've got a cover three beater called. And Brady takes the easy hitch to Burkett because also inexplicably, Artie Burns has given him like five yards worth of cushion. So he just takes what the defense gives him. Simple gain of four. Easy throw, easy catch. Second down. It's another cover three look. Spot drop, cover three. They run a play-action play with Gordon running a post on the backside and Patterson running a comeback route. That comeback route is ideal against cover three. Why? The corner on the outside has no expectations of safety help. So he has to respect a vertical threat. Patterson pushes vertically. Corner has to bite on it and respect it. Doesn't want to get beaten deep. He's got no help. Patterson breaks back to the ball. Easy throw, easy catch on the comeback, first down. Then they run the touchdown, the touchdown play here. It's a play-action Yankee concept, okay? Yankee concept, post route from one receiver, underneath dig route from the other. Kind of a deep over route. And it's a nice coverage against, a nice route concept against single high. You traditionally run it off of play action. They do it here. Gronk stays in and blocks. And you get a bust in the secondary. For whatever reason, the corner runs with Gordon. The other backside corner passes off the dig from Hogan. Hogan's wide open. Touchdown. Three passing plays. Three spot dropping moments. You get a bust on the third one. But they go right down the field. Because this spot drop and cover three, it's something Brady's seen a ton. And he's able to carve it up. But then let's go to the second quarter because we get a three and out in the second quarter where the Steelers do a much better job of dropping into different looks and disguising it and giving Tom Brady something to think about rather than just knowing where he can go with the football once the ball is snapped. Now the first play of this first and 10, Brady tries to hit Gronkowski on this first down play. And what happens is they show him a single high look. It's a first and 10 at the 601 mark of the second quarter. They show him, Tom Brady, a single high safety look before the ball is snapped. They break the huddle. Brady sees one deep safety. It looks like it's going to be a cover one look. And then right before the snap, he squats down into a cover two. The other safety drops deep into a cover two. So they rotate the safeties. They spin the safeties. But it's basically just cover two. That's all it is. It's nothing Tom Brady hasn't seen before. But they do a much better job of disguising it. And the defenders aren't just spot dropping here. They've got their eyes on receivers. They're trying to match this a little bit more. So it's more of a zone match cover two look. Brady makes the right decision eventually. Trying to get this throw to Gronk in the middle of the field. 
but he makes it eventually because he's a bit slow with it. One of the safeties has a chance to break on this throw and almost picks it off. So that's first down. Second down, the Steelers do an even better job of spitting their safeties and confusing Brady before the snap. Because what they do, they take one safety and they put him down basically at a linebacker spot. So it looks like he's playing linebacker. They've got what looks to be maybe a cover two look, but then they drop it into a cover three. And it's, again, one of their spot drop cover threes. But because Brady sees that safety down and expects cover two, they spit it into this cover three right at the snap. He's a bit confused. He eventually makes the right read and hits Edelman on just this quick little hitch route. Again, the right throw against cover three. But he's a bit uncertain of what they're doing. And the confusion is starting to mount. And then you see in the next play, this third and five, it's a pressure look. They have two safeties deep, but they've got everybody else pretty much on the line of scrimmage. They do bring pressure, and it's a cover two man under. They get pressure off the edges. It forces a quick throw from Brady to James White on a hitch route. It's off target because the throw comes under duress, and it's incomplete. And again, this is just cover two man underneath, nothing exotic or anything like that, but they've given him on these three plays. Three different looks they've given him now on these three straight plays, and they force the Steelers do this three and out. And that's sort of the difference that I see is going to play a huge role in this game. If the Steelers here, week one, rookie linebacker, things like that, are going to be more of that spot drop and cover three team, Brady should be able to carve them up. But if they're going to change things up and do, give him these different looks, some of these exotic rotations, the way they spun the safeties on that second down play I just broke down, Brady is going to have to need more time to get the ball out of his hands to diagnose what they're doing. And if he needs more time, that plays into perhaps one of the strengths of the Steelers, their defensive front with Watt and Dupree coming off the edges against a tackle that might be making his first start in Isaiah Wynn and an interior line that is without their starting center. And so if they're able to get that extra second of hesitation from Brady, pair it with their pass rush, that could be what gives the Patriots some trouble on Sunday night. So that's what I'm going to be watching, this idea of spot dropping in the secondary if the Steelers do that, or if they try to get Brady to pause or hitch or think for that extra second, giving them their pass rush, more time to get home. So that will do it for my segment of the show. Up next, Alex Kazora will join us for Steelers Depot. We'll talk about some of this stuff and more. That's ahead on episode 10 of the SCO Show. And welcome back, everybody, to episode 10 of the SCO Show. Happy to be back with you and extremely happy to talk to our next guest. He's one of the best people out there just in terms of football coverage, period. But especially if you want to talk to Steelers, he covers the Steelers for Steelers Depot. He is my friend, Alex Kazora. Alex, buddy, it's been too long, man. How you been? It's been uh, I've been doing really well, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry to get down to the Senior Bowl last year. I could have met up with you at Veets, but hopefully this year uh, I can get back down there. Yeah, I mean, it was probably no surprise to hear that I was at Veets a couple of times when we were down <laughs> there. It's it's always a fun time. We did miss you, but we're looking forward to getting you back there. But I had to start off with this question, Alex, and maybe since we're recording this on Wednesday, you might even have some stronger feelings on it, given what we've seen on Instagram this morning. But just how happy are you to have the Antonio Brown Lev Bell dual sagas in the rearview mirror? From a football standpoint, obviously losing AB and Bell makes this team worse. But in in a small sense, it is nice to just finally put that drama behind us and hopefully uh, never have to worry about it again. AB is obviously making that a lot tougher to to forget about AB uh, than I'd like. But but yeah, I mean, obviously. 
I like talking about football. I like the X's and O's. Um, I like talking about the players that are part of this team and the things that will actually impact the Steelers' 2019 season. So hopefully after Sunday's game, you can kind of put to bed all the A.B. and Bell stuff, focus on the guys that are, are here um, because that was a crazy saga that I don't want to have to relive. I don't blame you, man. And sort of jumping off the A-B stuff, you know, with him gone, expectations are that Juju's going to be the go-to in the passing game. You know, what are your thoughts on Juju? Can he become a true wide receiver one in this league? And outside of him, who's going to be that piece or piece around him to sort of help as a target for Roethlisberger in the passing game? It'll obviously be a different challenge this year for Juju to be the number one guy because he's always had A.B. and A.B.'s the guy that always demanded bracket coverage and focused, you know, the entire defense's attention. You know, you get defensive coordinators game plan of how to take away A.B. and Juju was often left singled up. But what I think is positive with Juju is that he's such a versatile player. It'll be tough to be able to really take him away the way that you could double a b and kind of bracket coverage him and play a lot of two man and stuff like that um because he was primarily an x receiver juju can play in the slot he can play at the z he's going to be moved around a lot i thought randy feetner the offensive coordinator has done a good job of being creative with how they align juju in some bunch sets and they get him off the line of scrimmage and create free releases and just kind of naturally get him open so they'll have to scheme it more this year maybe in the past with a b and juju we just kind of let those guys do their thing and win their routes um but i think juju's versatility playing in the slot a lot where some corners won't be able to travel it's going to help him out quite a bit opposite of him uh, it's going to be Dante Moncrief at the X spot in AB's old role um, if he can kind of do what what he did in 2015 it's kind of the goal with him where he might not have a he's obviously not going to repeat AB's numbers the expectation can't be for one man to do AB's job fully but if, if Moncrief James Washington a second year player that's had a really nice preseason can be that vertical threat um, I think he's come a long way from an obviously very tough rookie year. And then some other bit pieces like a, a, a Ryan Switzer, Deontay Johnson, the rookie, who we'll talk about, I think, in a second. And then also Vance McDonald, the tight end. Um, this is a guy that, you know, he's never going to play 90% of the snaps because there's an injury concern with him. It's just not the type of guy he's going to be. But I think he could really increase his touchdown numbers and really be a replacement in the red zone this year. Um, he saw a lot of targets in the red area at the end of 2018. And so I think the combination of, of everybody – it's going to be what I think is able to help this offense deal with the loss of AB in the best way possible. Yeah, Alex, you mentioned Johnson, and I know he had a lot of fans in the draft Twitter community. How does he fit into this group? Because people were really high on him coming out. I still like him. Um, his future's still bright, but I think expectations have to be tempered for year one. Um, rookie receivers in general obviously don't always have the best seasons. Juju, I think, was kind of a, a rare case, and even then it wasn't the best season ever. You saw the, the, him take the big jump last year. But, you know, Johnson's playing behind Moncrief, and while there's talent there, um, he's been slowed by several small, nagging, soft tissue injuries dating back to even rookie minicamp through OTAs and then missed, you know, parts of, of training camp and I think two preseason games. So he's a guy that's kind of behind the eight ball right now. He will have a role. This team is going to use some four receiver sets and spread the field out, kind of take advantage of the wide receiver depth that, that they have. Hopefully by the back half of, of 2019, he sees a more active role in the offense, but he's not going to be a focal point. And I think the time that he's missed so far is going to potentially stunt his development, at least in year one. Obviously, Alex, one of the strengths of the Steelers over the years, particularly recently, has been this offensive line. How good is this group this year? And do you see any weaknesses in this unit during training camp or preseason? Or is this just a strong core component of this offense? 
it's really the engine of this offense, Mark. It's a top three group uh, for me. The only maybe potential weakness is at right tackle with Matt Filer. Started 10 games from Marcus Gilbert last year, but I think he's got, you know, teammates call him the strongest offensive lineman on the team. He's not the best athlete, but he's got great size, great power. Um, I think it's just a good enough laterally to be able to seal some of these speedy edge rushers. Um, I, I know that when you talk about Steelers' offensive line, the number one thing the media will point to is the loss of Mike Munchak. And make no mistake, losing Mike Munchak sucks. I mean, there's just no other way to, to go around that. Um, but what they did a good job of, of they hired in-house. You know, Sean Surrett was Mike Munchak's assistant mm-hmm, yeah. for the entire time that Munchak was in Pittsburgh. Actually, was in Pittsburgh before Munchak was hired. And so they just promoted within. They hired an assistant um, offensive line coach and Adrian Clem. So there's really continuity across the board that's rare for any position in the NFL to have that continuity along uh, the offensive line and keep, you know, Palantir DeCastro, Villanueva Foster, just the same group of guys for several seasons now. Um, so I think this line's going to be fine. It's a strength of this team. It helps keep Ben upright. And honestly, it's one of the biggest reasons why Ben's even playing right now. If they didn't invest and develop this offensive line the way that they have, Ben would have retired three seasons ago. So it's it's a direct relationship between Ben's success and longevity um, and the investment and the talent that this offensive line has. You know, I asked you at the top about the Lev Bell issue and how you probably feel have it in the rear view. Is there a sense, perhaps, among the offensive line that maybe their job gets a little bit easier? We know Lev Bell so patient, waits for mm-hmm. his blocks, but sometimes it's tough for the offensive line to hold blocks that long. Right. Does it almost make it easier now that they won't have to worry about blocking for him? Yeah, I'm sure in one sense. I mean, Connor has more of a downhill run style. But I think the thing with Bell, like, you know, obviously Bell, to me, is the best back in football and and, and losing him to the Jets is is a loss. But, you know, they didn't have Bell last year. It's not like EB where you had him last year. Now you lost him. They played without Le'Veon Bell for any, you know, Bell didn't play a single snap last season. It was Connor was the guy. So this is all old hat to the offensive line. They know what Connor can do. There's a lot of trust in Connor. His development's been fantastic from from year one to year two and then the progress into year three. So um, for, for the offensive line, I think it's status quo because Bell wasn't there last year. Con has been the guy, and that's a story for, for 2019. Now, speaking of this running back room, Alex, similar to the Johnson question, a lot of people were high and intrigued by Snell coming out of Kentucky. How does this rookie fit into this running back group? How much is he going to contribute? And what are your thoughts on this group as a whole? It'll be minor, especially for week one, Sunday night. Um, you probably won't see Snell really any, um, maybe a couple snaps. So he'll really work on special teams. So, you know, I, I thought he had a good camp. Him and Devin Bush had some really good battles in training camp one-on-one. Um, I think that he has better hands than I expected. His pass protection is probably better than where most rookies are at. And I think he did a great job of embracing special teams. You know, Snell was always the guy. Even in Kentucky, his freshman year, he kind of really helped rebuild that that program and turn them into a, a winner and beat Florida for the first time in 31 years and just kind of really made that program a success so it was going to be an adjustment to come into Pittsburgh to be the number three just be a, another guy um, but I think he's done a good job of embracing special teams running down kicks and punts but you know he averaged I think 1.9 yards per carry in the preseason didn't have a whole lot of running room he's going to have to lose weight this offseason he's probably a little too heavy right now but that's common Connor did it Bell did it Jalen Samuels have done it so long story short he'll be the number three this year um, you know if an injury happens he'll play more but he's going to have a pretty minor role in this offense year one. You know, Alex, you mentioned Ben Roethlisberger a moment ago, saying he might have easily retired if mm-hmm. they didn't invest on the offensive line. How has he looked in camp? Is he ready to go? We haven't seen a ton of him, obviously. I know it's cliche to say this about any player above 30 years old, but Ben looks like he's in great shape. Like, you know, he's in really good shape. Um, I, he's talked about how he's worked more with trainers and done probably a better job the last couple of years taking care of his body more than he did earlier in his career. Um, so he looks good. 
Uh, obviously, there's some wear and tear concerns. This guy threw 675 pass attempts last year, uh, most in the NFL. So, um, you know, that was probably something he had to deal with the offseason, maybe changing his approach a little bit. But this team's really smart and mindful kind of how they take care of him during training camp. You know, they're, when they're at Latrobe for, for their training camp sessions, he goes, you know, full day, half day, off day. They repeat that process. So they, they do a good job of managing his reps. Um, he looks like same old Ben to me. And the thing with Ben is that, and I think the national media has kind of started to recognize this, but, you know, for the longest time, even when it wasn't true, he was always perceived Ben was as this backyard Ben, you know, Sandlot quarterback, make it up as you go along. But he's really evolved from playing within the pocket, making plays within the structure of the offense and the play design. And that's really where he's done his best work. No one got the ball quicker last year than Ben Roethlisberger. I think it was like 2.2 seconds on average. It's a lot of quick games, a lot of RPO games, screen games, stuff like that. So the ball's designed to get out pretty quick right now. It's another reason why Ben's been able to play this long because he's taken a lot less hits um, because the ball's getting out a lot faster. We'll switch gears to the defensive side of the ball here. We get some new faces on defense for the Steelers, perhaps none bigger than Devin Bush, who you mentioned earlier. How important of a selection was he? How has he slid into this defense? And is he a three-down guy now, or is that something they're working towards as the season goes on, you think? He was huge. I mean, you had to have an inside linebacker like Devin Bush. This was one of the biggest weaknesses of the defense last year. Um, they didn't have the speed to cover sideline to sideline, to cover tight ends, to cover running backs, um, to make splash plays. And Devin Bush, I think, brings all those elements to the defense. He's had a nice camp. Um, he's really been working in every situation. And during uh, the preseason, he was working in base and nickel and in dime. I think for week one, they're going to maybe scale back his snaps a little bit. He might not be the every down guy because – to go to Foxborough for your first game, to go against Tom Brady and try to communicate effectively is a pretty big challenge. Yeah. But I think by week two, he's going to really become like a 90% snap count kind of guy. So I think week one, they're going to ease him in a little bit because communication is so paramount. That's how this team won last year by been having complex coverages and giving Brady a ton of different looks, and that requires great communication across the board. Um, but they got a good one, good one with Devin Bush, and he's going to be an impact player for this defense. You know, Alex, it's funny you mentioned the sort of complex coverages. I remember when we sat down to preview this game last year, we were talking a lot about the spot drop that Pittsburgh usually mm-hmm. used in the defense and in the secondary. I just this morning rewatched some of that game from last year, and you're seeing them spin the safeties. Yep. They're doing a lot more complex stuff back there. It confused Brady at times. Does Pittsburgh finally have that secondary group they've been trying to assemble for what seems to be a while now? I think so. I mean, we've said that before, so knock on wood. Right. Um, but but I, I, I am hopeful for a lot of reasons. One, they bring in a, a more talented corner in Steven Nelson, who can be up and down. He can be feast or famine. I know Brady picked on him against the Chiefs last year, but, but a guy that can create splash plays, four picks last year. Um, he had for Kansas City and I just think the overall experience of the group you know that was a big concern for mine with this defense was they had to be so static because they had such a young group Sean Davis in his first year at free safety Terrell Edmonds was a rookie overall but by that week 15 game you saw them show comfort to be able to rotate coverages you know be able to disguise stuff pre-snap versus post-snap and so I think Edmonds in his second year he's having a great camp he's one of those guys that's made that classic jump year one to year two Sean Davis, his second year at free safety, though he's got an injury, he may not go Sunday night. You bring in Stephen Nelson, Joe Hayden's back, Mike Hilton is healthy again to be your nickel corner. You have good depth with a guy like Cam Sutton that's played well. So I think there's more talent, there's more speed, more versatility, and more experience with this defense. So in theory, um, you should be able to see a defense that can offer those kind of looks and even more looks uh, that like they did last year to help kind of confuse Brady and, and win that game. 
I got a question for you, Alex, from John Limarakis via the Sco Show Slack channel. A listener question here. Looking at this matchup, we know what A-gap pressure does to Tom Brady. With David Andrews out, do you anticipate that being a focal point for the Steelers' defense? And if so, how do you anticipate Pittsburgh attacking that interior? I don't know if you attack it deliberately, but I think you have a weapon in Javon Hargrave um, who's going to be making major money this time next year. This will probably be Javon Hargrave's last year in Pittsburgh. Um, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent, and he's going to just get a chance to play more with an probably in a 4-3 system. But he's he's that rare nose tackle that has that blend of, of burst and power and hand use and effort and kind of being an all-situations guy. So he's someone that you can line up over center. I assume it's going to be Ted Karras playing center for you guys Sunday night. Um, or Russell Bodine, but either way, that's a plus matchup for Javon Hargrave. So I think that's the way that you attack that, is be able to shoot those gaps. Um, what what the Steelers do well with their run defensives, they do a lot of run stunts with a nose tackle, too, where they can slant Tewitt or Hayward into the A-gap and have you know Hargrave loop around um, into the C-gap and, and be able to give different looks that way and kind of mess with blocking schemes. So I think that'll be an adjustment for, for the new center that's in there, whoever that guy is. And the other thing I would mention, too, is not only the A-gap pressure the Seagulls can get, but the, the, the B-gap pressure, too, this team can get. No one schemes up better off-ball linebacker blitzes than Keith Butler. And I've been very critical of Keith Butler, but he does a great job of getting his inside linebackers to win one-on-one, put them on running backs, create free matchups. Even with just four-man pressure, we'll drop somebody and be able to bring an inside linebacker into the B-gap. So Vince Williams had eight-and-a-half sacks two years ago. I think he's got 12-and-a-half sacks over the last two seasons. That's the most of any off-ball linebacker in football. Devin Bush had a ton of sacks in Michigan. Mark Barron could be a weapon there as well. So I think the A and B-gap pressure is going to be critical in this game, and that's something the Steelers do a good job of being able to create good matchups to, to win those battles. Now that you've probably scared Patriots fans with both A and B gap pressure, let's do it on the edge because another critical matchup might be those Pittsburgh edge guys against what's basically a rookie mm-hmm. left tackle in Isaiah Witt. And sort of how do you see that one playing out, Alex? Yeah, he'll see a lot of Bud Dupree. Uh, Steelers flipped their guys last year, so Watts saw the left outside linebacker, Dupree's the right outside linebacker. Um, Dupree's shown some signs of being able to convert speed to power. That's always been the issue with him and why he's underwhelmed. I wouldn't call him a bust as a former first-round pick, um, but he's underwhelmed. But I think he, him being healthy and hopefully being able to convert speed to power is going to be the thing that helps at least get his best season ever, even if those you know that's a pretty low bar we're setting right now. Uh, but yeah, the, the edge guys are, are really good. You know, Watt I think is a guy that can have a 15 plus sack season. I know that sounds you know really crazy, but he really kind of turned it on the last six weeks of last season, where he his hand used to developed a lot. I think he's more comfortable on the left side, um, and he's a guy that can be schemed up to stunt or win the edge or you know however you can however you need him to win, he can win. So I think they have a good edge duo. Dupree might be the is the weaker link, but I think hopefully he can have a good season, and then Watt I think can really have a, a truly special season. You know, Alex, thinking about this game. Robert Gronkowski used to be such a big component of these matchups. Obviously, against that spot drop, cover three, he would have some ability up the seams, but he's mm-hmm. not in the lineup. Uh, does facing New England without number 87 change sort of the view of this matchup, at least on paper? I mean, it makes me sleep better at night. That's <laughs> what I'll it. start, and maybe it makes Mike Tomlin sleep better at night, too. Yeah, I mean, it certainly helps, and then I know that, you know, you can probably speak better to it than, than I can, but the, the tight end situation isn't nearly as potent. Like, I know Ben Watson suspended, Lance Kendrick is suspended, so I don't know what threat you guys are going to have at tight end. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in that sense, it helps. And then, then, again, just having the versatility and the speed of this defense for any sort of slot threat with the Edelman or whoever you guys bring down the scene. You know, Devin Bush can run with them. Mark Barron can run down the scene. Terrell Edmonds can man up and play. Uh, man-to-man coverage on a tight end so um, I think this defense is, is much better equipped to you know not only for New England but any team um, to be able to handle 
the, the threats down the scene better than they have in the past. And plus, they just don't spot drop anymore. They do a lot less spot dropping. Um, you know, they play a lot more two-man and man coverage. I think they play the sixth most man coverage of anyone in the NFL last year, which is a very big contrast to the old classic Dick LeBeau, you know, tackle the catch kind of philosophy. So th- this defense has changed a lot schematically and in personnel. All right, Alex, fantastic stuff. We'll get you out of here on this. I'm not asking for a prediction, but sort of your early thoughts on how you see this Sunday night game playing out. You know, I picked uh, New England last year to beat uh, Pittsburgh, and I was wrong about that. Um, And and so I don't want to be proven wrong again. But for Pittsburgh to go to Foxborough in week one, this played out in 2015, and you guys rolled the Steelers. It's going to be a lot. They got to pick off Tom Brady. What has he got? 18 touchdowns, no interceptions against Pittsburgh in New England in his in his history. I mean, real real quick, the last crazy stat I want to give you um, because I love weird stats. Uh, I'm I'm for just for the season, not just this game. I want one Steeler. I don't care who it is. It can be Dan McCullers. I want someone to pick off four passes this year. No Steeler has intercepted four passes in the season since Troy Polamalu in 2010. It's the it's longest. Been that long. It's the longest drought in NFL history ever. Wow. Active, you know, broken, whatever. I mean, it's just been insane. The lack of playmakers. That's why you bring in a Steven Nelson. That's why you invest in Terrell Edmonds in the first round. So if someone can start that path Sunday night and pick Brady off even once, because it's never happened before in Gillette Stadium, um, that's the key. But but it's hard to be optimistic because history says that Steelers in Foxborough never ends well. Fantastic stuff as always, Alex. Before we let you go, please let everybody know what you're doing, where they can find your work, and what you're covering over at Steelers Depot this season. Yep, the website is SteelersDepot.com. Uh, obviously, Steelers-centric through and through. And then you can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora, K-O-Z-O-R-A. And, folks, that will do it for today's show. That will do it for the week. Next time you hear from me, we'll be after this Sunday night game. Hopefully a glorious victory episode, but it could be, as Alex pointed out, it could be a melancholy in the infinite sadness episode. Either way, I will be with you then. Also, please do leave some ratings and reviews for the Pat's Pulpit Podcast on Apple Podcasts. They do help us. And tell your friends where to find us, such as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Until next time, dear friends, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough. Thank you.